even starting, I realized like I didn't actually want to be a starter in the NFL. You know, that's something that I had to learn and, and grow into because at the time when they sort of gave me that position, or not gave me, I definitely earned it. But when I was tasked with doing the things that a starting linebacker has to do, it was one of the worst experiences of my life because it was just too much pressure. Hey everyone, this is Ashley Menzies Babatunde, and we are here for another episode of No Straight Path, the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. And I am just so excited about this next guest. We have Spencer Pacinger. Spencer is a really good friend of mine from high school, like a big brother, such an amazing human, great guy with a really inspiring story. So I'd love to tell you a bit about him. So Spencer actually grew up in South Central Los Angeles, yet he attended Beverly Hills High School where he excelled at football. He went on to accept a football scholarship to the University of Oregon, and he graduated with a bachelor's in economics in 2010. His personal story is the inspiration for the CW hit drama, All American. Yes, guys, that's him. (laughs) If you haven't seen the show, go and check it out got renewed for another season. And if you're like me and you like to binge watch things, it's on Netflix. So highly recommend. After going unselected in the 2011 NFL draft, he made the final cut with the New York Giants, where he eventually went on to win the Super Bowl in his rookie season. Spencer played seven seasons in the NFL before retiring to pursue his new dream of developing television and film concepts that spotlight unique experiences across America. So he is also a storyteller. And aside from producing All-American, Spencer has written and developed various concepts under his More Street Productions banner with Imagine Entertainment, Disney, Wilson Sports, Smack, Hyper Object, and Uninterrupted. Now, outside of entertainment, Spencer is also co-owner in Hilltop Coffee and Kitchen, a fast casual eatery with an allegiance to underserved communities. And he currently serves on the board of KIPP Public Schools Black and Latinx Leadership Committee with the goal of creating programs for KIPP's South Central youth. He currently lives in LA with his wife, Blair Pacinger, and their two children, Cairo and Madden. And I am really excited about this conversation. It was just so wonderful, so inspirational. So let's get to it. have my really good friend from high school. We met when I was just 14 years old, Spencer Pacinger, writer and producer. And I am so excited that you're here because your journey is so interesting and we are here to learn all about it. So thank you for being on the show, Spence. Thank you for having me. This is the first time I've heard you say Ashley Menzies Babatunde. I know. Right. It's so crazy. <laughs> it's official. <laughs> We've grown up over here. I know, I know, because you used to all everybody called me, I guess, Menzies. Yeah, like, Menzies, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to start from the beginning. I know high school Spence, but I actually don't really know about like, who you were as a child. So if you can just tell us just a little bit about how you grew up, like how would your friends describe you as a child? Yeah, I think so. My upbringing. I grew up in South Central Los Angeles off of anybody from L.A., off of South Central Western, like literally across the street from the South and Swap meet. 
But my childhood was a lot of sports. I played basketball, baseball, football since I was three years old. I'm a middle child. Older brother is three years older than me. Younger brother is seven years younger than me. But two-parent household until college, and we can talk about that later. But um, no, just growing up in South Central was a huge family atmosphere. My mom's side, she's one of like seven kids. And then my dad is one of four. So just like holidays were always big. Weekends, we would just always be jam-packed at somebody's house or just in the streets playing any type of game that we could that we could find. But yeah, my childhood was just that. I had friends that were, you know, running the streets and then other friends that mainly were playing sports. And, you know, I was kind of, I kind of took the sports path. But whenever somebody asked me to describe my childhood, I'd say I had a legit, you know, no pun intended, but like a legit all-American childhood growing up in South Central because a lot of family, a lot of rules, a lot of, there's some danger here and there. But for the most part, I feel like my parents shielded me from that. But I was an artist growing up. I won like art competitions, like drawing freehand stuff. I would draw multiple pictures a day. Just that was kind of like my release. But yeah, just to me, a normal childhood. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that you were an artist. Did you continue to do that throughout high school or throughout your life? Yeah. So I, in high school, I took graphic design. I took art my freshman year. And I think the last three years I was taking graphic design. So just trying to see if that can if my love for art would transition onto the computer. And it did. It was a great class. Miss Joseph was amazing. But once I got to college and sort of football took over as elective and free time and everything, I was like, I got to figure something out. But every now and then I do open up my sketch pad or, or just do something creative in that realm. But definitely want to get back into it as a release. Yeah. And how would people describe you during your childhood? Were you really outgoing and gregarious or more quiet or a mix? Yeah, I mean, let my mom tell it. She's like, yo, you didn't need anybody at all. You could be in a room or across the country and you would be totally fine. I was the kid that you can give me a a stick and I would find just something to do with it for like three or four hours. So I was always that kid that was just interested in kind of taking things apart. Even with my action figures, I think growing up, I took all of my action figures apart and tried to reassemble them a different way to see if it would still work or work better. So I was that kid. I was always just interested in the minute things, just wanting to see how things worked. Very quiet at times. By no means was I a popular kid, but I wasn't, I guess, unpopular in, in 90 terms or a nerd in 90s terms. Just kind of like middle of the pack. Like I was friends with both sides, played sports, and that afforded me some type of friendship with that crew, but then also like with art and science and being part of a math club at my middle school. Like, you know, I got to see the other side of the world. So yeah, just I guess just middle of the pack, always interested in little things. And I definitely sensitive. I'm a cancer, big cancer energy over here. Okay. So, <laughs> so very, very sensitive, very uh, sometimes introverted and absolutely in my head a lot. Okay. Okay. And I could see that definitely in high school. I can vouch for all that because you were certainly like well-known because you were a football player. And that's actually how we met being on the track team to sports connected us. But then I remember us actually, you basically helped me do very well in physics and like past <laughs> physics because we were studying so hard and science was not my strength. And you were just like, oh, well, we do this. And then you put this together yeah. and think about this and you do this equation. I was like, okay, I did not know this side of Spence. Yeah, I can definitely. And there were exactly, you weren't like you were friendly and got along with people but you were not 
there was certainly an introverted, more quiet side. So I think that definitely carried over to high school. And you mentioned that football kind of took over. So let's dig into that. Like, tell us Mm -hmm. your football story. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I played basketball, baseball, and football since I was three years old. But basketball was actually my, like, favorite sport growing up from, I think I probably made that change mentally, I think my sophomore year of high school, that I was going to dive into football head first because, you know, growing up, I wanted to go to UNC and be a two guard and and get drafted to the Lakers and, you know, play with some nobody named Kobe. But I got to high school and I remember I, I made it on the sophomore basketball team my freshman year. And I was looking at the varsity team. The varsity team was decent, but they weren't sending anybody D1 at that time. Like they were like maybe one guy every three or four years, but you know, our football team, it felt like every year they had at least, you know, two or three guys that were going to like pretty good D1 schools. So my older brother was a senior when I was a freshman. I got to see how he was big man on campus and and had a scholarship to San Jose State and a handful of other football players are going to schools like Washington and Oregon and all these other places. And I was like, literally as a 14-year-old kid, like, I well, if I want to go to college, I know my parents can't really pay for it. So my best bet is to get a scholarship. And I didn't really want to take that route thinking like it was the only way I was going to get to college, but I knew it would be easier for my parents if I did get a scholarship. So me being in sports, I was like, okay, well, I do like football just as much as any other sport. It was just basketball was that number one for me. And once I made that switch and kind of committed myself to football and kind of and put basketball on the back burner, I ended up doing pretty well in high school. You know, we our senior year, we went undefeated. We ended up losing in the second round of the playoffs. And then I accepted a football scholarship to University of Oregon. It was the only school that told me I might play defense. All my other offers were to play receiver. And I actually committed to Colorado to play receiver for about two weeks because there was some like recruiting things happening like some shuffling happening at Oregon that they didn't know if they could honor my scholarship or not. So once they were able to, I committed to Oregon, decommitted from Colorado. And once I got to Oregon, about a month after I was there, they switched me to defense. And then I played the rest of my career as a linebacker, uh, even though I played predominantly receiver in high school. Yeah. And how was that transition for you? So it seems like you liked football and it was a practical choice that you made, which is great. You want to help your family. Yeah. I think that's, that makes a lot of sense coming from, you have such a big heart. So that's amazing that you even <laughs> thought that. But yeah, how was that transition from those positions to the new position? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was. I enjoyed it, but I would be lying to you if I said I didn't wish I played offense in college. To me, it was absolutely a business decision to switch positions and to even go to Oregon because I love playing receiver. I was all state as receiver, league MVP, like had all the accolades as, as a receiver coming out of high school. So when these schools are like, hey, we want you to play receiver. I'm like, yeah, this is what I do. And Oregon being the only team being like, well, you, we saw you play safety a couple of times at Beverly. So like, and we like how you play. You're, you're a bigger, a bigger body that we think that we can build into an outside linebacker. I was like, all right, well, I like you guys, but like, once you guys see me on the field, you're not going to want to switch me because like, you guys will see how good I am. And that just wasn't the case. They were like, you know, we have some injuries at linebacker. We're going to put you over there. So that switch was hard because initially I thought this is just temporary. You know, they're going to put me back. And, you know, once those seniors leave, they'll realize they have some holes. They already have me here. If anything, I could switch to a tight end because, you know, at the time I was 6'3", I think 215. And I knew I was going to put on weight, but Actually, I never switched back. And 
to me, it was one of the best decisions of my life because my second year fully converted into that position, we had a linebacker actually get kicked off the team. And at the time I was the third string linebacker at one position at linebacker. And he was the starter at another position. And going into fall camp, my linebacker coach called me and said, you're going to start at this position. You're going to go from third string to first string. And not only are you going to start, in three weeks, we have our first game against like number 10 Washington on Saturday night, ESPN game of the week, like to start the season. And I'm sitting there like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So it was fall camp in general was just like one of the hardest things. It was the first time I was consistently going up against uh, the starters of the offense. And I felt like I just couldn't do anything right. Leading up to that game, I'm in the locker room, you know, 10 minutes before we're about to go onto the field, literally crying in my locker, like towel over my head, shaking, crying. You know, two years ago, I'm like, I was a receiver two years ago. Why am I starting at linebacker in a nationally televised game on Saturday night where like millions of people watching me? Like, how is this even possible? And I'll never forget my my teammate, Jerome Boyd, who was a linebacker with me. He came over and he was like my mentor. And he was like, hey, man, like you did well in practice. Like you did well off our camp. Don't think, just go out there and play. Just like use your abilities, like just play, just play free. And statistically, I had one of the best games I've ever had in my career, both both high school, college and NFL, my first game ever starting in college. And after that, I ended up starting three years at Oregon. Um, My last year playing was my last game playing in college was losing the national championship to Auburn back in 2011 and then went on to the NFL. But that change, hella scary. But in the end, I don't think I would have the career in football that I had if I didn't switch to linebacker from receiver. That's so amazing. Sometimes you just don't know why yeah. something's happening at the time and then you're able to reflect later. I always call those look at God moments. That's what my mom would call them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, look at God. Like, <laughs> you know my mom was cheering you on. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Wow, that is, I did not realize that. That's amazing. I love how you shared, you know, that you were afraid and that you actually cried. You know, I think that Terrified. sometimes like, Black men don't really share those things, men in general. So it's really important to humanize those moments and to talk about them. So thank you for sharing that. And then it ends up being your best game, which is incredible. Yeah. I don't think I've ever subscribed to the idea that like, you know, the football player, just the, the Black man in general has to be this like tougher than nails, not show any type of emotion. I mean, you, you've known me since I was 15 years old. Like I've, I have I probably showed you every emotion <laughs> that, yeah. that I have in me, but uh you know, it's like, again, big cancer energy over here. If I feel something, I feel it. I'm not going to run away from that. So like, you know, even to the point now, like I'm in therapy once a week, I have a standing therapy appointment. So I, and I talk openly about, you know, the highs and lows of the career that I had and, and the new career that I'm attempting to get off the ground now. So I'm all for talking about emotions and feelings and, and all that. I love it. I love it. Me too. <laughs> As you know. <laughs> okay. So now... Let's get to the next in your career. You go to the NFL. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. How does that happen? Yes. Oh, man. So, you know, graduated from Oregon in 2010. I had an extra year of eligibility. So I, I stayed back for that fall. I had my last season there and then went into combine training. Didn't get invited to the NFL combine. Really only had the, my NFL pro day to show teams that, like, hey, I can play some good ball. 
Fast forward to the draft, I don't get drafted. And this was at a time when it was during the NFL lockout. So usually during the NFL lockout, I mean, during, during the NFL draft, when you don't get drafted, immediately after that last pick is called, teams will call you and be like, hey, we know you didn't, we didn't draft you, but we want to invite you to try out this weekend to see if you can earn a spot on the team for a chance to earn a spot on the team in the fall. Like it was like a tryout for a tryout. But during the NFL lockout, once that last draft pick goes, there's it's complete silence. You know, players and agents can't talk to teams, vice versa. So I'm back in L.A. It's 2012. I'm living at my grandfather's house. And I'm just I'm keeping myself healthy. I'm keeping myself in shape. I'm going to Beverly every day to train. Just trying to just not go crazy at my grandfather's house because the year before that, I almost retired from football. I technically retired from football. So to kind of backtrack a little bit, the year I graduated, I had a job offer in Portland. I won't tell you the, the company's name or anything, but I interviewed for this job. They loved me. They were going to fast track me to this management position to where I would be able to have sort of a jurisdiction over the entire Pacific Northwest in this company. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm 22, 21, 22. I'm like, oh, young black man, Pacific Northwest, making, they said like starting salary was like 80K coming out of college. I'm like, very good. I'm single, like coming out the recession, making 80K, like let's do it. So I started getting my affairs in order. I was like, I told my my roommates at the time, I was like, hey, I'm, you know, you guys, best of luck. I know we just lost in the Rose Bowl, but you know, there's really no better game than that than the national championship. So I'm going to just peace out. I love y'all. Like, it's been great. I have my, my, my diploma in hand. And I was legit, like, mentally done with football. And about a week later, a handful of my friends and teammates came to me and were like, bro, we all came here together. We're all leaving together. Like, you can't leave. Like, we have a really good team. Like, we could do some damage this year, and I don't want you to miss out on it. So I was like, all right, well, jokingly, like, all right, if I come back, then we at least got to make it to a national championship. And we did. <laughs> so kind of carrying that momentum, I'm thinking, you know, we're a national, we, we went to a national championship, although we didn't win, we got there. So like naturally, like I'm a three-year starter. I'm going to get drafted. That's just, that's, you know, I may not, but like the numbers show that I'll probably get drafted. Fast forward that like six months, I don't get drafted. So I'm in my grandfather's house. I'm kind of kicking myself because that job offer kind of came and went. I reached back out to them to see if, you know, there's any way to get back in. They were like, actually, like, we already have our program up and running. Like, you know, thanks, but no thanks. And I was just like kind of hard on myself thinking, you know, that I mess up an opportunity. So I just kept training, thinking eventually the lockout's going to end. Eventually a team will call me and I'll have a chance to, to kind of, you know, prove myself all over again. So I think it was July, I think it was, I want to say July, like 27th or something. The NFL lockout ends and I'm actually driving to Beverly to train. And I get a call from a handful of teams, Arizona, Denver, Cowboys, Giants. And I eventually go to the Giants just literally based off of the first phone call. Like everybody just had their first phone call. They're like two minute pitch of why I should sign there. And the Giants just felt like the best opportunity. I did my homework before and knew that they were one of like the five teams that needed an outside linebacker like me, a little bit slender uh, that can run with slot receivers and running backs out of the backfield. And some of the other teams that called me, it was just log jammed at their position. So I ended up going with the Giants and kind of had like a historic year. So it was it was, it was a good decision. Yeah, and that's so amazing. And in that 
period of time where you were just waiting and you were kind of kicking yourself a little bit about that opportunity? What gave you the drive to keep going and to keep pushing? I think the drive was, one, like I knew the lockout was going to end. I didn't know when it was going to end, but I knew it was going to end. That was one thing. Another thing was just kind of proving that decision of coming back to football to be the right decision. There were some of those days where I was like, I should have took that job. I could be in Portland right now, kind of living the, you know, the single life and being an exec and doing that. But I had to like lean into the idea that the decision that I made was the right decision, no matter how long it was going to take to prove that that was the right decision. So, and then honestly, like my family, like my one thing about my family and, you know, all my uncles and and my brothers and such, like, they never really pressed sports on me as a kid and growing up. Like, even though most of them were college and high school football coaches and my family's heavily influenced by, by baseball and football, like, I never felt pressure from my family to, to do sports, to be in sports, to be that guy. So when I was home, they would just check in every now and then, ask, like asking how I was. But overall, they would just be my family to me. They, they weren't asking questions every 10 seconds about, did anybody call today? Is the lockout? And I know they wanted to, but I felt like they really gave me the grace to just keep that off of my plate because they already knew that I was good in my head. I love that. I love yeah. like how family is just so healing. And no matter where you are in life, you can just go back to them and be the person that you are and not with yeah. how the world sees you. Yeah. It's, just, it's just so incredible. I'm so glad that you had that too, because I feel like when you have that freedom to choose what you want to do and just have that support from family, it's just the dream is yours. Yeah. It feels like yours and not everybody else's. And I love that. There was never a like a pressure to play sports. When I played sports and I always thought about my family in that aspect, it was like, I'm so excited that I can be part of the next generation of the sports family. Like the locker room at Beverly is named the Pacinger family locker room. So like me going in there, me working out, it's me knowing like, oh, I get to put another like notch on the belt that says like, hey, this is what we've done at the school and in our own legacy. So it was just always out of a a drive to just just carry on the legacy. So just but never felt pressured at all. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you're gonna do the same with your kids. Just support <laughs> what they what they're gonna do one day. <laughs> if they don't touch football, if they don't touch sports in general, that's totally fine. I'm doing the stuff I'm doing now to where like anything they want to do is, is an option at that point. I love that. So we I wanna get to that. So let's talk about the transition. So you didn't maybe a little bit. So didn't you go to like a Super Bowl? Didn't you win a Super Bowl? Did you do some <laughs> things that are really interesting and great. Couple things. <laughs> did a couple things. So yeah, my rookie year, we ended up winning the Super Bowl, Super Bowl forty six. It's actually the the ten year anniversary of that Super Bowl. So we had a big blowout back in New York, seeing the old guys and you know Eli and Victor Cruz and those guys. But it was crazy because it was one of those, again, one of those like look at God moments because you know I went through what I went through in the lockout. And I got to choose which team I could play for. And it really came down between sort of Denver Cowboys and Giants. And I ended up picking the Giants. So the fact that they didn't pick me, I picked them. And the end result was winning a Super Bowl my first year. Like once the clock hit zero, zero, like I started balling on the field because I realized like, oh, like that decision to leave that job on the table and chase after this dream, like finally came true. Like finally, 
you know, happened. So I ended up playing a total of of seven years in the NFL, four with the Giants, two with the Miami Dolphins, and my last season with the Carolina Panthers. You know, was really good special teamer, really good uh, backup. I started one year in the league, and even starting, I realized, like, I didn't actually want to be a starter in the NFL. You know, that's something that I had to learn and, and grow into because at the time when they sort of gave me that position, or not gave me that, I definitely earned it. But when I was tasked with doing the things that a starting linebacker has to do, like it was one of the worst experiences of my life because it was just too much pressure. And it just like sucked all the happiness and joy of the game out of me to the point where once we traded for another linebacker and he kind of took over the mantle as a starter, I went back to being a technically a starting linebacker, but not like the main middle Mike linebacker that like has to do like every check and every defense and all that. So once I went back to just being like a primarily like special teams linebacker and backup linebacker, it was a great career. Um, but I had to learn like I had to sort of change my goals of wanting to be a starting linebacker, realizing like once I had it, this isn't the best thing for me and realizing like being a backup is totally fine. Yeah. So, sorry to interrupt just, but that yeah, yeah. I just want to pause there. But that's so interesting because I think that outside looking in, you're in this starting position in the NFL. Like that is the dream. That is the goal. Yeah. And then you get there and realize like this is actually not where I'm at my happiest self. And for you to move out of that, even though probably the world is telling you to stay there and you can tell me if that's right yeah. or wrong, but like, how did you decide to make that shape to, yeah, try to get back into that role where you, that you knew that you actually enjoyed? Well, I think I've always been, I would say my, my biggest superpower is that I'm, I'm very self-aware. I'm very in tune with, with how I'm feeling. And it's hard for me to like lie to myself. Very hard for me to lie to myself. So when I get the position and that first week, I'm like, you know, I'm riding the high. I'm like, oh, okay, like I'm going to start a line back for the New York Giants. Like, <laughs> here we go. This is where the legacy starts. And after a couple weeks, I'm sitting there, I'm like, you know, I'm losing sleep. Like, I'm a little bit more, like, agitated than usual because I'm trying not to mess up. And I'm not really playing out of a, a want to succeed, but more out of a fear of failure, you know? And it's just, it was just that. It was realizing that mentally I'm changing. This, this position is making me change. But then also knowing that the first couple of years I was in the league, knowing playing on special teams and being a backup linebacker is where my flow was. So I was like, okay, how do I still honor my commitments here, but still like know that that's a thing that I can still attain. So once we traded for a linebacker, uh, his name was John Beeson from Carolina, like he'll be in the hall of fame potentially one day. And that role was sort of, you know, given to him and I was allowed to go back. That's what it really allowed me to appreciate those couple years before when I was just a special teamer and backup linebacker. So once I got back into that role, like I became that I became every team's like special teams guy. It was okay, Spencer, you have the toughest guy on special teams. Okay, Spencer, like how do you plan on blocking this guy? You know, we don't have to worry about you because we know you're gonna have your job done. I'm like, yeah, I got it. Like, go teach the other team guys. You guys know I'm gonna handle my job over here. So it was kind of growing up in that sense of kind of having your cake and eating it too and realizing that it's spoiled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah but it was just overall just like that pivot into like really understanding what I wanted out of this game until I didn't anymore you know yeah I love that I love that you're so self-aware and that is so important and I feel like people learn that at different times in their life if they ever do but it really leads to 
a more joyous and happy space because you're yeah. in your zone. So I would love to hear more about you, um, the change you said until it didn't anymore. Tell us more about yeah. that. I can't speak for all NFL players or just professional athletes in general, but there comes a time where you feel like you've sort of caught up to, you know, to the Joneses. Like as a young black man in this world, like I always felt like we were behind in some sense, whether it's like social economically, like just, it just in general, it's like we always feel like we're, we're playing catch up to the world, but the NFL afforded me the opportunity to like, you know, to make good money, to get in some pretty good business rooms to, I did a handful of internships and I kind of felt like I was like becoming an adult finally, you know, kind of taking that step forward. And I realized like football wasn't that for me anymore. So, you know, speaking on the, the internship that I would do. So every off season, I would do a new internship in business because I, I always made the joke that whatever the NFL always brings these like, business minds into the locker room, into the, into the meeting rooms. And they're like, Hey, we're going to teach you how to do a resume. And, Oh, you were able to, you know, play on a defense with 10 other people. So it's, they're just fine ways to, to say that you played football, like 10 different ways on a resume. <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to say like tasked with being on a team and like leading another team. And it's like, oh, so well, we were just all playing football. Yeah. So I use that and just started doing internships. It started in college where one, of, I would say he was my first mentor outside of my family. His name was James Harris. He was somebody I was like, hey, you're an econ major. I think you're smart. I'm gonna plug you into this community and you're gonna start, go have a lunch with this guy. He runs you know, a business that earns $3 million a year. Go do this, go do that. Go do, like read this book, read this article. Let's talk about it. So he kind of poured that in me early to the point where once I got into the league, every off season, I would do a new internship. So the, I think the most impactful internship I had was with uh, Quest Diagnostics. I was running, helping run a sort of this marketing campaign with them. And it was off season. I had my little desk. I was coming in with my little like J. Crew plaid shirts on. Do uh, a briefcase. Had a little, I had a little satchel, satchel. somewhere. But I was legit like a working member of this team. It wasn't just I'm sitting down off to the side on my phone while they're working. Like, you know, I'm doing reports. I'm handing stuff in. I have my own little deadlines. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm coming home at like six o'clock, cracking a beer and watching like the Lakers play. And I'm like, this is kind of cool. Like this, you know, it's fine. So in football, like when sports in general, coaches always like kind of make you fearful of like walking away from the game. Uh, they always made, they're always, they're always like, you know, you're never going to make as much money as you do now. You're never going to be as happy as you are now, like to compete and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yo, I'm, I'm part of a team home by six. My body doesn't hurt. I'm cracking like a hard cider and I'm watching basketball at six, seven o'clock. Like this ain't bad. <laughs> so that was kind of the first sort of like spoke in the wheel that started like turning that wheel. And it was interesting because when I started talking about this is about my fourth or fifth year playing, that's around the time when players start to get that itch of what else is out there. And I started asking players legit, like, Hey man, have you, have you thought about like, what else is out there? Have you like, what else are you interested in? Like, you know, I've been doing all these internships, but they're, you know, I've also been like kind of teaching myself how to write and I go to movies and I might do something there, but I have this econ degree. So I've been doing other business stuff because, you know, we're in New York and why not try to like leverage those relationships? And I kid you not, like every single teammate player I talked to was like, man, shut up, like play as long as you can play, like make your money, retire and like, kind of like rest on your laurels. And it wasn't until I was playing over in London, the Dolphins were playing against the Jets, and there was a teammate that 
an old teammate of mine that's now on the Jets. And after the game, I'm talking to him, and I'm like, man, is that, am I having like a fifth-year itch? Like, what's going on? And he laughed. He's like, man, every player has that. Play two more years and then either walk away or just reevaluate where you wanna, what you want to do in this life. So that was like the first time I got like actual like advice from another player. So I ended up playing two more years, but during that time, I was setting myself up with a, a handful of things off the field to the point where that two-year mark hits, I'm in the middle of technically what would be my last season. And I just knew at that point, like it was time for me to walk away because football at that time, just, it wasn't fun anymore. There wasn't much joy in it. I was kind of, to me, I was just kind of collecting a check. Like I was like, I'm here if you guys need me, but my mind is elsewhere. And I was always going to do my job. I was never like, I was never a liability on the field, but I would be lying to you if I told you like my, my wife be like, she would have to like kick me out of the bed some mornings. Cause I'm like, I'm done. I don't want to go to practice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And you said your mind was somewhere else. So where was your mind during that time? So it's kind of backtrack too. Like every year in the NFL, I would go see a new movie. I mean, every week in the, in the NFL, I would go see a new movie on the NFL, like our off days, Tuesday. So from literally the first week I was in the NFL, that Tuesday, I went to a theater, saw two movies, and just kind of kept that up for seven years. And it got to the point where I just started calling out things that were happening in movies before they would happen. And it led me to downloading a script writing service called Final Draft, which is like the main writing service in Hollywood. And I was just teaching myself how to write short stories. I was looking at, I was reading films. I was watching films with subtitles. I was sometimes watching film on silent to see if the messages were still coming through. Just reading books. Like some of these books I have right here are books that I bought way back when on screenwriting and whatnot. But it got to the point where, you know, I was really interested in screenwriting, just like building out worlds and understanding story structure and all that. And on a chance happening, a friend of mine was like, hey, you send me that story that, that you wrote. I think it's good. A friend of mine sells TV in the unscripted space, but this is more scripted. So why don't you guys get together and see if there's any synergy there? Mm -hmm. And the first night that me and that guy met, his name is Dane Mork we ended up technically creating the the initial idea for what became All-American because it was that question was, the first question he asked me was like, you know, how was it growing up in Beverly Hills? Because he went to Palos Verdes, which is, you know, 20 miles away or so. And he knew because he played high school football, he played against my older brother. He knew the Pacinger name around Beverly. And he just thought the Pacingers were like a Beverly Hills institution. But I told him like, oh, no, I commuted every morning. It was a 45 minute drive, drop my little brother off at my grandparents' house. And then I trek it across town to get to school. I'd wake up at like 445, 5 o'clock every morning. And he was sitting there like, what are you talking about? Like, I get up at 740 and I'm at school with like 10 minutes before 8 o'clock, you know? <laughs> so that we just had this long conversation about growing up in Los Angeles and still having two completely different views of Los Angeles, but still both repping Los Angeles to the fullest. And I went back to playing. He, I guess he was pitching an idea about his upbringing in Palos Verdes. I was sort of dead in the water. And just on a whim, he was like, hey, I know you guys don't like this idea, but like, I think there's something with this guy. I just met him a couple of weeks ago. He's a football player. He's in the NFL right now. He won a Super Bowl from Los Angeles, like South Central, but went to Beverly Hills. Do you guys, are you guys interested in something like this? And they were like, yeah, we'll take a meeting with him. So he called me and was like, hey, bro, there's something here. I don't know what it is. Do you mind just writing up like a one page something to detail what's like, what was your upbringing? 
And I was in the middle of the season. And I was like, okay, bet. I'd already been teaching myself how to screenwrite. So I knew kind of like how to hit on certain points and how to like really draw the drama out of certain areas and then pump up, whatever. And it took me about three hours to write this one page. And I sent it off. And a few weeks later, I get a call from like one of the heads of Warner Brothers. And they're like, yo, these, these words are popping off the page. You know, would you be interested in having a meeting with us? And I set that meeting that like literally that day because I knew we weren't making the playoffs at this point. And like a month later, I was at Warner Brothers just having an initial meeting about what would become All-American. Wow. That <laughs> is insane. Like that is another look at God's <laughs> it is insane. moment. Like it is, it is insane. insane, trust me, right? I know like, it is. It, it's not normal. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. It's incredible. You certainly deserve all of this. And so I'm so proud of you, but just hearing the story, like I know it, like I kind of, you know, as your friend in the background, yeah. oh, this is happening. Oh, this, oh, okay. Yeah. I saw this on Instagram. <laughs> Let me text Spencer. But like just how everything aligned is pretty incredible. And that is so interesting just about like you growing up in South Central and going to Beverly Hills, because I feel like most of us, of the black students at Beverly, we didn't grow up in Beverly. And yeah, we, you know, we commuted with the permit system, there was sports, and it was such a, I don't know, it, it was just def definitely a display of wealth that I wasn't used to. And so it just can make for, I guess, as you did, like such an amazing story and such an interesting, so many different themes that you can explore there. So I love that. I mean, we all came from, whether it was South Central or Mid-City, like, but I feel like that experience going to Beverly at that time has bonded us forever. Uh, like, like I always told you, like, whatever you need from me, like, I'll always pick up the phone because, like, you know, we're essentially, we're, I literally consider you my little sister. Aww. So, like, and just anybody at Beverly during that time, like, I still talk to a lot of those people to this day. Like, I mm -hmm. still, like, I go on vacations every now and then with some of those people, like, a, a big, like, 30-person group chat every now and then. Like, it was such a unique experience being Black in sort of, like, the early 2000s during that time. Because we were all figuring out who we were together, which mm -hmm. I think was dope. Like, if we didn't know who we were at that time, like, we can ask a friend and we can get an account of who we were at that <laughs> time, which is all, which is cool. So, yeah, it was definitely a unique time. And that was actually one of the one of the things that I pumped in the pitch for All-American was like, yeah, you guys think because you guys hear South Central, you guys hear, you guys just think you know all the stuff that comes with being a kid from South Central. But we, although we had that perspective at Beverly, we also had the kid, the black kid that was in the band, the black kid that was in theater, the black kid that was like grunge. Like we had such a like cacophony of black kids that just made it so unique being at that school at that time that you couldn't look at the black population at Beverly and being like, you guys are all the same because no, it was just, yeah. it would just be a complete lie. It's so true. Like, we, it's certainly it's not a monolithic experience, but we were also bonded and we all grew with each other. Mm -hmm. And I definitely see you as a big brother. You always have been and you always kept me safe at the party. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you were always driving me around always. and you'd get me home uh, and by the time, my, what did I have? Curfew. You always yep. make sure I got yep. home by my curfew. <laughs> yeah, okay. we got to go. Ashley has... We got 10 minutes. We got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, because we always had to track me. And yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow, man. I love that. Okay, so you have this hit series. I actually don't know what happens next after that and what in the kind of work that you're doing now. Because it's now it seems like you're just full on 
like writer and producer. And so can you just tell yeah. us about that? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I've been, I've technically been retired. I retired in the 2018 season. So I've been retired going about four years now, or it will be four years in March. But the first couple of years, it was really just learning how to maneuver in the writer's room, how to like know a set is being efficient, like being on set, consuming as much as I can of, of, of that world. And honestly, trying to figure out what I wanted to do beyond being the guy that, you know, all American is inspired by. So I've been at this point, you know, 2018, 2019, I've been teaching myself how to write for a few years. You know, I wanted to write an episode on all American, but to me, I just really wasn't in a position to be trusted to write an episode of all American. I completely like initially I was like, well, it's my show. I should write one. I should be able to write one, but I'm thinking about it. Like, nah, like they put like, a million an episode into like each episode like I'm not gonna put these words to page and something not line up and everything so I really put myself back in school and at one point I wanted to go back to school I applied to USC film school I was about to apply to USC film school and LMU's program because everybody was like oh you have a tv show on the air why would you go back to film school you skipped 10 steps like this is the goal is to get a tv show on the air but you have to go through like 10 years of doing that to get to this point, but you skipped all those steps. And I was like, well, that's cool and all, but like, I don't know what 10 steps I skipped, you know? So a big part of it was like insecurity of being in this position and not really knowing how to capitalize on it. So I wanted to go to school to figure out what my lane could be. But after everybody told me like, don't go to school, like you don't need that debt. You're, you're already in the writer's room. You're already on set. Just learn as much as you can there. I just doubled down on my learning. I doubled down on my reading, on, on my writing, on my just making connections and realizing that All-American would get me into rooms that I probably wouldn't be able to get into if I didn't have that notch. So the past couple of years has been definitely leveraging All-American into other projects. I actually just sold a film to Disney uh, last year that I'm writing right now. Maybe that's why I got bags under my eyes because <laughs> the deadline's in like a couple of days and I got a couple more things to write about it. But I mean, that opportunity just came because another script that I wrote, I put it up for for review and it kind of got tossed around to a couple of different managers till a manager was like, yo, I really like this. I have a product, although I don't want to make this one, I have a project in the same in the same tone if you're interested in writing this one because it's already sort of set up and we're going to pitch it to the company, to the major companies and see if we get an offer and then and off to the races. So we ended up pitching that movie. We got a handful of offers. So I'm writing that film right now. And then I'm currently writing my first All-American script. So like I said, three, four years ago, I wasn't in a position to write All-American, to write a full episode. I would give my perspective on it and, and help with certain scenes, but writing a writing an episode, I was just wasn't ready for it. I've kind of worked myself into a position to feel confident I can do it now. But then overall, like that's the writing of it. I'm producing a lot of things right now, just directed or co-directed with my producing partner, a spot for Wilson Sports that's going to drop around the Super Bowl. And just, again, just producing. I feel like I've found a really cool lane where a lot of companies want sports-related content, but they don't really know what sports-related content they want. So the fact that I've been in that world and understand just a little bit better than some other creatives I'm getting a lot of opportunities to tell sports stories, but eventually we'll want to, I guess, grow beyond it and be tasked with the idea of like, yeah, he has a sports background. Yeah, some of his early stuff comes from sports, but 
if we come to you know Spencer and his production company, they can do stuff at a high clip, sports or not. So that's where I'm at right now, writing and producing. And then, like I said, like doing some casual directing, but I'm gonna let that come as it comes. I'm not gonna force that. Okay, very cool. I love all of that. I feel like, so you have so much to share and your story has just been so amazing. And I'm looking at the time and I feel like this needs to be like part one to part two because I have some other questions. I feel like now I want to talk to you about just how do you define success, a little bit more about your personal life. So we're just going to wrap it up really quickly so that we can get to part two. So everybody stay tuned and we'll be back next week or in two weeks, depending on how we do this. Uh, But thank you so much for sharing this first part of your story. It's been so incredible and so amazing. So thank you, Spence. Thanks, Ash. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of No Straight Path. I need you to share this with your friends, share it with your family, go on to Spotify, go on to Apple Music, go on to Amazon Music, wherever you listen to podcasts and hit that follow button or that subscribe button. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show. It really helps other listeners find the show so we can just let everyone know that there's not a straight path in life and that we're all figuring it out together. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Take care.